0: The Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Morning everybody. Are we all well? It's good to hear. Yeah, first of all, what a privilege to be able to come up the front and, and share with you guys. Yeah, it's not something I take lightly. Just wanted to say that. Now, speaking of things that aren't light, that is Brian Shaw. He is the four-time world champion of the world's strongest man. And when he's competing, so in that photo there, he weighs just shy of 200 kgs. And that thing that he's lifting, you can't really see the whole thing, but it's, it's got two big sides, but it's called the Austrian oak. It's part of the competition, so uh, that all also almost weighs 200 kgs, and he can bench press that, wrap that over his head multiple times. To kind of give you an idea of his size, I've put a scaled version of myself next to him. <laughs> now, what you'll note is I, I did put names... Beneath us, just in case there was any confusion. (laughs) Our shores kind of all look alike. Yeah, what an absolute monster. (laughs) So when preparing for this World's Strongest Man competition, which I actually used to really enjoy, used to watch it on, it was on like New Year's Day or something, I don't know if anyone can remember. They're always lifting like massive Atlas stones and pulling cars and stuff like that. When he preps for this, Brian eats seven meals a day. Over 10,000 calories, so uh, that's 25 quarter pounders from McDonald's a day. And he lifts weights four days a week, and he pretty much just only takes a break because his body can't handle lifting anymore. And he does that for the whole year. There isn't much financial gain in pursuit of strength. Most of these serious competitors, there's about 10 really serious competitors, they actually end up losing money because of their grocery bills. And that's in the states. Here, yeah, they would be—they'd be totally, totally screwed. And all the travel costs that they've got to go around to all the competitions. So, Brian does this. He says because he loves it. He's just completely dedicated to it, and it's something that he's good at. Some of you here, probably all of you, know that the Bible's got its own strong man of sense. Uh, can anybody tell me his name? Samson. Yeah, you're onto it. Yeah, for the past like month or so, uh, we've been studying through the book of Judges, and the story of Samson comes up in chapter 13. Just before we really dive into it, I uh, just wanted to mention that this is a two-part sermon, so this week we're going to be exploring a little bit about Samson's beginnings, kind of his character, and in next week, the dramatic conclusion, so stick around for that, uh, So yeah, we're going to start with chapter 13. Let's quickly get that out of the way, that slide. So chapter 13, Judges, it starts with this verse. And the children of of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them uh, into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. Now that's a pretty depressing start to this story, but it's also one we've actually heard before. Because this phrase and the children of uh, children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord or the children of uh, Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord has actually been repeated six times already in the book of judges alone so uh, Ivy spoke about the story of Deborah it was in the start of that Murray uh, preached about Gideon it was also in the start of that Jeremy preached about. Jephthah, I feel like I always... Is that alright? That's good to me. Okay, cool. It's also in the start of that story too. So it's like this theme, and, and there's also the significance about the Lord letting the Philistines in particular oppress Israel for their disobedience. So we're going to look into that a little bit more later on. But right now, we're going to dive into a little bit about Samson, so he's probably one of the most well-known judges of all. And, uh, yep, starts in chapter 13. This is Judges... 13, so I'm going to read through all this, and uh, yeah, and then we'll have a talk. Uh, so it starts, there was a certain man of Zora, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and bear not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and said unto her, behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but uh, thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So, some of you might be thinking this all sounds pretty familiar. And it does. This type of kind of supernatural birth and prophecy is associated with biblical heroes like Samson and John the Baptist. If you base off that, you can, you can safely assume this Samson guy has quite the calling. Now the specific calling of a Nazarite in particular is, is laid out in Numbers chapter 6. I won't read through it, but basically they are separate themselves from the Lord. So there's no drinking of alcohol, there's Especially, you no know, eating of grapes, drinking of their juice. You're not even allowed to have a dried grape. I would really struggle with that. Uh, they can also not touch dead bodies. And one of the main things, the most well-known things, is no cutting of the hair on the head. And apparently that included the beard. So uh, they would probably look pretty rough out in public. Uh, you, it might sound like a pretty bizarre set of rules, but it was like they were very publicly set aside people would have been able to tell, oh, there's a Nazirite. So that's what Samson's called to from birth, and and Nazarite vows were normally set aside for a period. Samson's was for life. So the remaining verses of of chapter 13, uh, they cover this beautiful story about Samson's parents, which I think kind of shows what they're like. They they pray to the Lord that the angel would return and, and confirm the message and let them know how they were supposed to raise this child, and and it and it does. The Lord answers their prayer. The angel comes back and he and he kind of reiterates everything and says, "Yep, the no alcohol, the no no this, no that, all the things we've gone through." And Samson's parents they offer sacrifices to the Lord, and the angel disappears. So yeah, to me, I just wanted to say that point because it's like it shows a little bit about who his parents were. They were, you know, uh, loving, devoted, cared about carrying out the Lord's will. Now, chapter thirteen ends with these two verses, and the woman, so that obviously Samson's mum, bare a son, and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to move at him. Uh, began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtemoel. Last week Jeremy spoke about Jephthah and it got me thinking about kind of how stark the differences are between the early beginnings of these two men. Jephthah was born out of wedlock to a prostitute mother. Samson's birth was miraculous and was announced by an angel. Jephthah was rejected by his immediate family and actually even kicked out of his house by his brothers and no one seemed to, his parents didn't seem to kind of bat an eyelid, it was just done. Samson grew up in a loving and supportive home with parents who were dedicated to raising him in accordance to the Lord's will. So Jephthah moved past these things. He grew to be a hero of Israel and used mightily by the Lord, still with his own mistakes and issues, but used mightily by the Lord. What about Samson? We next catch up with Samson in uh, chapter 14 of Judges. And it says, And Samson went down to Timnath, and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and mother, and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines, now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and mother said unto him, Is there is there never a woman amongst the daughters of thy brethren or amongst all my people? that thou goest to take a wife of an uncircumcised, uh, uncircumcised Philistine. And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. So, yeah, it, it's kind of not super surprising that Samson's parents aren't really that stoked with his choice of bride. For a start, his parents appear to be God-honoring people. So they're probably thinking about the commandments in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 7, specifically, about not marrying people from foreign nations. The Lord warns the Israelites, don't marry people from foreign nations because they'll take your heart away from me. So there's that. And then secondly, it's clearly superficial. (laughs) It's based solely on looks. So Samson's supposed to be delivering Israel out of uh, the hands of the Philistines, not getting together with them. He's also doing a pretty poor job of honoring his parents. By going against their wishes. But then in verse 4, uh, we let in on a little secret. 14 verse 4 says, But his father and mother knew not that it was the Lord, uh, that he, meaning the Lord, sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at, at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So even though Samson was kind of a little off course probably on his calling, the Lord wasn't forgetting his promise to deliver Israel from the Philistines. This is kind of an important note to remember because it serves as a theme for Samson's life and the nation of Israel as a whole. Now, one of the probably most well-known Bible passages, Samson and the Lion. So it says, "Then uh, Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would rent a kid. So like he would rent a, like you'd rip apart a small goat. I couldn't rip apart a small goat, even the small goat thing would, I would struggle with. So I'm not too sure why they put that in there. But, and it says Samson had nothing in his hand. He didn't have any weapons. But he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman. So this is the Philistine woman that he'd, he'd seen. And she pleased Samson well. Now I just want to tackle something about Samson from the outset. If you Google Samson from the Bible, uh, you get all these images of this huge shirtless guy ripped up like Rambo with all this long hair and beard. This verse here highlights where Samson got his strength from. It's from the Spirit of the Lord. His strength didn't come from his physical body or from having magical hair. It came from the Lord. So next week we'll talk about how the Philistines become kind of fascinated and obsessed with, where, with trying to figure out the secret of his strength. To me, that's another indication that Samson was probably quite normal looking. Because if he looked like Brian Shaw and was huge and ripped up, then people probably wouldn't wonder where his strength come from. they go, oh, well, it's because you're a giant muscly guy. So he probably looked a little bit more, less like a giant muscly guy. <laughs> I like to think. <laughs> but rather than focus on the fact that he tore a lion apart with his bare hands... I want to direct your attention to a finer detail in this passage. What is Samson doing at a vineyard? He's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to be anywhere near grapes. And also, clearly his parents aren't with him, and he doesn't tell them where he was. (laughs) It's all a little bit suspicious. But at least his date appears to have gone well. They actually talked about what we're not told. I'm assuming Samson probably didn't have high standards in that department. The fact that she could speak, good enough, I would have thought. So next we read about uh, Samson travelling back down to see his bride-to-be. And he notices something strange in the carcass of the lion that he'd killed. And this prompts this big thing about him challenging his wedding guests by asking them this seemingly impossible riddle. Judges 14.8 says... And after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating, and came to his father and mother, mother and father, and gave them, and they did eat. But again, he told them not that he'd taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. A seemingly harmless act, but again we must remember that Samson is a Nazarite, He's not allowed to touch dead bodies. This makes him ritually unclean. It means that they've got to shave all his hair off and offer sacrifices to the Lord. But yet again, he, uh, his parents are kept in the dark about where he gets the honey from, probably because they would have said something. And Samson just keeps on trucking. Samson then organises this big feast for his wedding. And in those days, it was a drinking feast, seven days long the uh, it was like a bachelor party basically. And the Philistines were well known for being like these master brewers. They brewed beer and they were good at it. And they liked a drink or ten. Now it doesn't actually say that Samson was drinking as well, but I think it goes a long way to show like where his head was at. (laughs) I mean, why would he put himself in that situation in the first place? Again, Samson's a Nazarite. He's called not to drink alcohol, not to drink strong drinks. So it's a little bit bizarre that he would kind of go down this track. So these 30 Philistine men come as guests to the party, um, almost like modern-day kind of groomsmen. And Samson poses this challenge, this riddle to them. and Judges 12, forward one, there we go. Judges 12, 12 to 14. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. And if you can certainly declare it me within seven days of the feast and find it out, Then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 changes of garments. Now, I know that sounds a bit random, like sheets and garments, but when we're talking about these garments, these are like three piece suits. They're nice, like it would have been, it's a lot of money. But if you cannot declare it unto me, then you shall give me the 30 sheets and the 30 changes of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle that we may hear it, aka challenge accepted. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. So figure it out. Not a bad riddle, eh? Like, whoever said Samson was just this big meathead. But it's a setup. Uh, there's no way they're going to figure this riddle out because they haven't seen the lion and the honey. So they don't, they don't have the key to it. But Samson's attempt to scam his wedding guests out of some clothes, doesn't end well. So the guests, as predicted, can't figure out the riddle. So they go to Samson's wife-to-be and try and pressure her to tell them by threatening to burn her and her family alive. Yikes. Remember, we're talking about the Philistines here. They don't mess around. So she pleads with Samson to tell her. She cries. She probably threw a bit of silent treatment in there too. That one always works well. (laughs) <laughs> Not with me, I don't mind the silent tweet, it's nice. <laughs> Samson finally has enough, and he tells her. And she turns right round and tells all the wedding guests. Remember, these are her people, she's a Philistine too. So the guests come to Samson with their answer. Judges 14, 18 to 19. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, so just in time, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, This is Samson speaking, <laughs> if you'd not plowed with my heifer, <laughs> yeah, I won't go into, <laughs> into that, but you would have not found out my riddle. So Samson knows, he knows exactly where they've got the answer from. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men. So the Ashkelon's is a Philistine village. So he went down and slew 30 Philistines, took their spoil, and gave the garments unto them, which expounded the riddle, which figured the riddle out. And his anger was kindled, and he went up unto his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he used as his friend. So his bet has backfired on him. The spirit of the Lord still comes on Samson, and he goes to this Philistine village, kills 30 Philistines, and give all, gives all the clothes to those people that answered the riddle. And the father of the bride, thinking that Samson must hate his daughter for giving the secret out, lets her marry one of Samson's friends that was at the wedding. Now in the verses that follow this, Samson arrives back to his wife's to be house with a goat, which is... I'm assuming the classic kind of I'm sorry gift. I actually recently got Juliet two goats. So <laughs> here we go. True story. <laughs> I was very sorry. <laughs> so anyways, Samson goes in and tries to sleep with his wife to consummate the marriage. But her father stops him and, uh, and says, no, 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 hey, I've given her away. You can have her younger sister instead. So it's all this big mess. And now Samson is really paid off. So, in true Samson form, he does the following Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands and turned the foxes tail to tail, put a firebrand in the midst of the two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines and burnt up both the shocks and all the standing corn, with all the vineyards and the olives. So that's one way to remove your temptations to visit a vineyard, is burn them all down. But when he did that, Samson basically destroyed the local economy of the Philistines. It was a big move. That was their whole harvest. So obviously they're not going to be very happy about it, and they really, really weren't happy about it. Verse 6 says, And the Philistines said, Who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timite, because he hath taken up his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I'm going to cease. And he smote them, hip and thigh, that's some great King James language, with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock, Edom. So like, wow, again, what a mess. I have to admit, when I was first reading through these chapters about Samson, I didn't really get it. Because like, I'm a cause and effect person. So I'm used to reading stories of like, when the Holy Spirit comes, after prayer, or after worship, or like some display of sacrifice. But the Holy Spirit seems to come on Samson in all these times, all these poor decisions. And, and from what I can tell of Samson, he really only seems to be motivated by three things, mainly. Number one would be woman, <laughs> and the most dangerous kind, like the kind the Lord warned against, the kind they're going to take his heart away from the Lord. And it's not, uh, it's this like lustful want. It's purely in the eyes. And number two, he he seems to be motivated by like selfish greed. I think this is shown in his, in his attempt to rip off his wedding guests. Is didn't seem to have much concern about uh, blessing them and taking care of them. He just wanted to get a free wardrobe, and he thought, here's how I'm going to do it. Yeah? And uh, he is definitely motivated by revenge. <laughs> yes, what the Philistines did to him was cruel and unnecessary, but... Samson has now put the uh, whole, Israel, whole of Israel in danger of retaliation from the Philistines. So it got me thinking, I'm like, what kind of hero is motivated by these things? Samson appears to have no interest in carrying out his God-given calling. Remember, he's called to begin the separation from the Philistines, to begin the deliverance. And he's seriously in breach, if not directly in breach of the very vows that he's supposed to uphold from birth. So I think I would have to go back and have a look, but I think from last count, he's pretty much forsaken all his vows. He's Apart from one, His here. When I kind of delved into this, I was reading through and I asked the Lord, what, what's up with this guy? Like, why do, you, why do you let your spirit come upon him? And he, he's just always making these poor decisions. And I felt the Lord saying to me, this story is not about Samson's faithfulness. It's, It's about my faithfulness. So it's about my faithfulness to my people. See, the truth is, Samson kind of embodied the spiritual condition of Israel at that time. Israel had all these promises from God. They'd seen all these miracles. They had all these prophecies. The Lord had gone before them in battle. And yet, all they wanted to be was like everybody else. They didn't want to be apart. They didn't want to be separate. So God would deliver them, and then they'd slip straight back into working other gods. it got delivered through Deborah. They got delivered through Gideon. They got delivered through Jephthah. And then they would just constantly display their faithlessness. And God would come and deliver them again and display his faithfulness. And I was thinking, the sad part is, I think the church can be a little bit the same way. We can have all these promises and, and we can see and hear all these miracles. And we have this opportunity to be this conduit for, for spiritual freedom and liberty. But so often, we just want to fit in. We just want to be like everybody else. And I'm speaking about myself here. You see, in Romans twelve two, we're called not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed for the renewing of our minds. So it's just a point I wanted to put out there. So when we continue with Samson, he's slaughtered all these Philistines, and he's sitting on top of this rock brooding, probably. And the Philistines, they've not just they've gone and killed Samson's wife to be and her father, and now they've gathered their whole army and they're camped out in Judah. So the men of Judah uh, afraid for their lives, come to the top of this rock to meet Samson. And that's in Judges fifteen, eleven. They say, Then three thousand men of Judah went to the top of the rock, Etam. And said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this thou have done unto us? And he said unto them, So Samson said to them, As they did unto me, so I have done unto them. Now, this is a really sorry state for the men of Judah to be in. Just to cast back a little bit, in the beginning of Judges, when the Lord says to Israel, Go forth and take this land, and I'm going to be with you. Judah's the first nation, Judah's the first tribe, sorry, that goes to claim their, their part of, of the promised land. And they do it. The Lord says, I'm going to be with you. And they do. They say to Simon, the other tribe, right, come with me and let's take this land together. And when you go to take your land, I'll come with you as well. So to me, this kind of says, look how far they've slipped. There's 3,000 of them. Instead of coming to Samson and being like, wow, like the Lord comes upon you and you're this mighty man of God. We can do this. We can We can begin to separate ourselves from the Philistines. They said to him, Don't you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? The fight had gone out of them. They were contented to stay under the rule of the Philistines and not to cause trouble. God had called the nation of Israel to stand out, to be sanctified and set apart. But yet again, all they wanted to do was fit in, be like everybody else. So like I said in the beginning, I'm going to touch a little bit about the Philistines and that time is now. So in Numbers 33, 55, there's this warning from the Lord to Moses when he was talking to Israel about taking the promised land of Cana. And the Lord says to Moses, If you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain in them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. Pretty heavy, eh? Now I can relate to this. Big time. (laughs) Because when I look at Israel's struggling under the rule of the Philistines, it reminds me of my own struggles with sin. You see, at the start of Judges, we read about the children of Israel. They're fighting all these battles for the Lord. They're fighting all these battles, sorry, and they're claiming and they're taking the land that the Lord's promised them. But their victories were incomplete. Why? Because they failed to rid the land of all the inhabitants. They left the door open for future struggles with these ungodly nations. So in Judges chapter 3, it specifically notes the Philistines as one of these open doors. They are exactly what Moses warned the Israelites about. They became a thorn in their side and pricks in their eyes. So I personally feel like this is greatly mirrored in my own life. One of the reasons you haven't seen me preach up here in a while is because I, I didn't heed this very advice that the Lord gave Israel through Moses. I didn't put to death the things in me uh, that I knew were unfit in the eyes of the Lord. So things that I've been told, and I knew in my heart numerous times to let go of. I, I can That list of motivations from Samson, I could tick off every single one of those things. Lust, selfish greed, pride, revenge. Now, praise the Lord, he's still able to use us in our weakness. But over time, These sins discouraged me, they robbed me of peace, Uh, and then slowly I became apathetic towards them, so I stopped caring as much. And then I started to do something, uh, exactly what the men of Judah had done, and what Israel ultimately did, I stopped fighting. I thought I'd just be under the influence forever, I thought, oh well this is just, this is it I guess. And I think that's where the true victory for the adversary comes, when we stop fighting. Psalm thirty-one twenty-four says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. And what are we hoping in? We're hoping in his character. See, so we read about earthly heroes like Samson, and they're flawed, and they can't be relied upon. But the Lord is always faithful. Amen? In fact, when we read that first verse, and the children of, of, the, uh, of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Out of those seven times, there's seven times that that gets mentioned in the book of Judges, that they disobeyed and they followed their own things. And six other times they call upon the Lord. And they, it, it says things like, and they lift up their voices to the Lord, or they wept to the Lord. They don't in this circumstance. Not in the story about Samson. But the Lord is still so faithful. He sets up all this stuff to be able to deliver them. He's 100% faithful. He delivers them seven times out of seven times. So I know I've been pretty harsh on Samson today, <laughs> but there's definitely something in his character that I find really admirable, and that's his fire. He's not afraid of a fight, and God uses people like that. He, um, he may need to redirect the passion a little bit, but Aaron's got this great saying, and it goes something like this. It's kind of paraphrasing. It's much easier to simmer down passion than it is to stir up apathy. It's, I believe this is it. He's probably got a nice way of saying But it's much easier to simmer down passion than it is to stir up apathy. And I think that's just so true. Yeah, so my, <laughs> my heart for us is that we would be truly passionate about our callings, about our mission, that we wouldn't be tied up in the things of the world trying to entertain what the world wants, being concerned with all the wrong motivations, being willing to let the Lord search our hearts and bring stuff up, be motivated to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I think we can draw encouragement from what we've read today, especially that despite our weaknesses and poor uh, poor decisions, God can ultimately work it out for good and for his purpose. Now, does that mean that we continue to make poor decisions and disobey his commandments? Certainly not. We're called to walk in the newness of life as new creations, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because the harsh truth is, our poor decisions and our disobedience have real-life consequences, and they can bring all this unnecessary pain and misery to our lives. I mean, look at the life of Samson. <laughs> he lost his wife, he lost possessions, he lost his relationships with his fellow Israelites. I mean, they will go into it next week. They ended up basically handing him over to the Philistines, all because he chose what to do, what was right in his own eyes. And we still haven't talked about all the things he will end up losing. So sin hinders us from stepping fully into the things God has for us. Because there's still this open door to the enemy. There's still this thorn in our sides, this prick in our eyes. Now I know this message has probably come across a little bit heavy. (laughs) Like I said in the beginning, it's a two-part sermon. And it was a little hard to know exactly where to draw the line. But I feel like it's similar to a doctor's assessment. First you get the diagnosis, and that's something that's a little bit hard to hear. But then you get the treatment plan, and that brings hope. So, today we've talked about the symptoms, we've talked about the diagnosis, and next week we're going to really dive into the treatment. And I trust that you'll all tune in again because you wouldn't watch half a movie or read half an article or eat half a packet of Tim Tams. You do it all and you do it right. <laughs> so, I'll see you here next week for part two the redemption. And in between that time, a question for you to ponder. Do you have any Philistines in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord God, that you don't leave us in our mess, but that you're always so willing to deliver us. And that you do all the work, Lord God. Help us to call upon you to not lose heart. And today, yeah. There's been lots said, Lord God, and um, I ask that you would work in our hearts. You'd stir in our hearts, Lord God. Uh, You'd bring up the things that are not of you, Lord God, and you'd give us the strength, the heart, the courage, the fight, Lord God, to deal with them. Because ultimately, we want to be more like you. So, yeah, we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus, we surrender this week to you. And we ask, Lord God, that you'd have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptistatextra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.